Engaging Leader Podcast, episode 110. Turning Followers into Leaders, featuring David Marquet. inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers. How do you move people from passive followers doing what they're told to becoming proactive, engaged leaders themselves? Well, I'll give you a hint. It's not about being visionary or giving the right orders. David Marquet is author of Turn the Ship Around, a true story of turning followers into leaders. David was the commander of a U.S. nuclear submarine when he decided to flip old ideas of command and control leadership on their head. He vowed to never give another order to replace instructions with intent, and to give control of the vessel over to his officers and crew. Now, in this conversation, we'll learn how that worked out and what business leaders can learn from his story about the how and why to turn followers into leaders. David Marquet, thanks for joining us on Engaging Leader. Great to be here, Jesse. David, give us the context of your story. What brought you to the point where you decided to never give another order? Well, I was the best leader that there ever was. I knew everything about leadership coming up from the Naval Academy and being in the Navy until I realized that I actually didn't know anything about leadership. (laughs) Everything I thought I knew was, if not, you know, if not wrong, at least sort of irrelevant to what I was trying to do. So here's the story in a nutshell. Uh, I, I always wanted to be a submarine commander. I was, you know, in the nuclear Navy. I was getting promoted. And eventually I was selected to go to become a submarine commander. I got shifted at the very last minute to a submarine I hadn't been trained, I hadn't prepared for, I hadn't originally been scheduled to take command of. Oh, by the way, this was the worst performing, worst morale, had a worst retention submarine in the fleet. And it was a different kind of submarine. So what happened was I inadvertently gave this order that couldn't be done but my guys tried to follow it anyway. And I I realized at that moment that everything I've been taught about leadership was getting people to do stuff, and what I needed was for people to think. And doing always crowds out thinking because, you know, doing means, you know, the leader takes control, the leader gives instructions, the more precise and clear the instructions, the better. And what I realized was I needed to give control, not take control. I needed to avoid giving instructions to give intent instead. And if I had to give instructions, give the most ambiguous, easy to argue with instructions as possible because all these things engaged thinking. What I wanted my crew to do was thinking. Thinking was what was going to keep us alive. Thinking is what was going to allow us to win. So I got my guys together and said, hey, um, you know, what's the, what's the way out of this box? And we kind of came up with this innovative idea that I, as the captain, never give an order. And you know, I tried to, tried to do that. And so as I leaned back, my guys would lean forward and they started saying, I intend to, captain, I intend to load a torpedo, et cetera. This engages thinking, rippled down through the submarine. And Long story short, we went from one thinker and 134 doers to 135 active thinking 
involve people. And it's really, really much more powerful. So fast forward a year or two that you saw there was immediate changes and it wasn't just you that noticed you, you pretty quickly received recognition from outside your crew. Right. Well, almost immediately within a week, we had, uh, my boss came down to road, ride the submarine and said, it's a new, it's a new submarine, uh, which was amazing that you, but you can change things very rapidly by giving people hope, giving, giving them control over their job and letting them see that they're going to have an important job and be able to make decisions. So that was good. Within a few months, we started getting great scores on our inspections. A year later, we got the highest score on the inspection for operating the submarine that the Navy had records for. And this is a crew that a year earlier was just, you know, basically the Enron of submarines. <laughs> and uh, I didn't fire anybody. We had normal crew rotation, of course, but... We didn't fire anybody. And the other thing was we went from the worst retention, only three guys re-enlisted on the submarine previous year, and then the very next year went to 35, which was the most in the fleet. So immediate dramatic results. But I think that's only half the story. So first of all, to make sure I heard you right, retention on the vessel turned around. At the end of the previous year, only three guys wanted to stay on. Right. And the next year that that increased tenfold. Yes. And also you had been receiving lousy performance ratings and you got to the point where you received the highest performance ratings in the entire Navy from in their recorded history. Yeah, that the inspection team had records for. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's correct. Why did that happen? People on the outside really didn't understand what was going on, you know, because people put their traditional view of leadership onto the submarine. So the traditional view is if the captain gives good orders, you have a good submarine. If he's giving really good orders, you have a really good submarine. If I gave great orders, we'd have a great submarine. So they're thinking I'm giving great orders, that I just really learned the ship quickly and I'm giving great orders. <laughs> smart guy. Opposed, right. And I had a reputation for being a smart guy, but... But um, they, what they didn't understand was I actually stopped giving orders. Hmm. I didn't give any more orders. And so that was really the interesting part for me because what happens then is, is that over time you're building leaders. You're building the capacity in your organization for people to think, solve problems, and make decisions. And that's what's going to win in the long run. So 10 years later – my group of officers on the Santa Fe, of those, of those junior officers, the kids who were in their 20s when they were serving with me, as they moved forward in the Navy, 10 of these guys became captains of submarines, 10, which is a huge, hugely disproportionate number. And I think this is the true power of what we did. It wasn't, yeah, the, the, the turnaround was great, but I think you can, tur you can turn things around in a short run by just barking a bunch of orders and being correct. But when you leave, things change. And if you make a mistake, things change. If your submarine produced 10 captains in the, in the following decade, what's average for a submarine? About between two and a half and three. Wow. So five times as many leaders came out of your crew as normal. Right. Yeah, that's impressive. And what does that do 
in addition to obviously that's good for those leaders, but what does that do for you as the leader? Well, it does everything for me because first of all, in the short term, while I'm on the submarine, I, you know, when I first got there, I just felt like I was the sole source of energy and motivation, and I was the I I, I was the locomotive. You know, I'd run around, give a bunch of orders, and then you know, run around again and check on everything, and run around again and <laughs> give more orders. And if I weren't there, you know, either giving orders and you know, motivating quote motivating people, all this kind of stuff, stuff. You know, when I left, there was sort of this decay, right? Energy would sort of decay, and you know, I'd have to come back. In fact, we had, you know, in, in the Navy called spinning plates, where you imagine the guy who's got the, you know, the, the sticks and the spinning plates, and you got to spin the plate, and every once in a while, you got to keep coming back and spinning the plate, and that's how it felt because absent the leader, energy reduced. But what happened with us was because I had taken the step back, energy was going up. Energy was going up without me. I, they didn't need me. And what does that do for me? Well, first of all, in the short term, it just opens up all the space in your head. So instead of running around and trying to be the guy who's putting energy into all these different issues and spinning all these plates, the crew is generating their own energy. And I can, I can sit back and that open space in your brain to think about stuff you 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 just that's crowded out by all the running around, you know longer you know strategic things, longer term things, things about uh, managing people in a way that I would have never come up with. Uh, the sec, well, I give you an example in a minute, but but the second thing, and I think what's more important is over the long run, you know you know if I weren't ta- you know speaking and retelling the story. I would have forgotten about all those inspection scores. Those things kind of fade from memory. But it's when you get a phone call or an email from one of my guys and says, "Hey, Captain, I just you know I, I just got promoted. I'm now the, I'm going to be the captain of a nuclear submarine. This is something I never thought I'd be able to to do, but it, you know because you believed in me and you know I, I, I I'm on that path. Uh, you know that just makes you feel good inside and. Uh, that's what I think, you know, my life's been about is been somehow touching these other people and, and seeing what they can do in their lives. Hmm. So first of all, just to back up a little bit, you basically talked about instead of all the focus on telling people what to do, which is another way to say that, say that is delegating responsibility for a task. You were essentially delegating complete authority for planning and making decisions. Question, I guess, an immediate question that comes to mind is how do you decide how low of a level in the organization to push authority for any given decision or action? Yeah, that's exactly. So those were the decisions I was now making was who could make which decisions and how far could I push it? So for me, this idea of intent-based leadership is really focused on this these conversations that happen. So when my when my guys would come to me and say, Captain, I intend to submerge the ship, that wasn't the whole story. We'd have a conversation. They would explain two things. One, why was it technically correct? Why was it technically safe to do it? And I understood their technical competence. And number two, why from an organizational purpose perspective did we want to do it? And I would understand then how they thought about what we were trying to achieve as a submarine. And those conversations gave me insight into their thinking and allowed me to differentiate guys who I could give more and more authority to 
and guys who I ne- you know needed to gestate where they were for a while before they could go up to the next level. Uh, but so these are the two pillars by which I would assess whether someone was ready for more. But what I don't want your listeners to to come across with is this idea that, hey, you prove to me you're 100% ready to make this decision and then I'll give it to you because that's mm-hmm. never going to happen. Mm-hmm. I think the leader needs the courage to find the guys who he thinks it's they're at like 90% or 85% and just do it mm-hmm. because only by doing it will you expose what really needs to happen. Like I imagine that you know what we're trying to do on the submarine, but I don't really know until I actually give you the authority to make a decision and see what happens. So you kind of have to suck air through your teeth and then give the decision. And we uh, we use the construct of above and below the waterline, right? A, a naval uh, or any ship that gets hit above the waterline creates damage but generally won't sink. A hit below the waterline could cause you to sink. So things like you know starting up the reactor, loading a torpedo, these weren't things where we were looking for people to be creative, right? You don't get inside. <laughs> Right. You just follow the procedure. But for things like, you know, how we were going to um, prepare ourselves, how we were going to prepare the team to start at the reactor, how we were, you know, were we going to meet an hour ahead of time, six hours ahead of time? We're going to do it at three in the morning. We're going to do it at three. You know, all those kind of things. I was able to give a lot of authority and let let, you know, see what happened. So when you watch in the movies, let's just say like. Sean Connery and Hunt for Red October right. <laughs> or something like that. It's always the, the, the captain or commander who's saying, okay, dive now and turn right. 34 degrees and, and, and all that. And so you were basically letting your crew make all those decisions. And until you had them fully vetted, you basically had some, you expected them to tell you what their intent was. And then you sort of felt out, uh, ask them some questions to, to make sure that they had the technical, co- technically correct answer, and then the organizationally appropriate answer. Yeah, exactly. And and you're hitting on the exact problem because you know everyone watches those movies. Another one of my favorites is Russell Crowe in Master and Commander. But any movie, any any movie where there's a, a CEO or a boss or a captain of a ship or a you know, general, you see the person giving orders. That's what they do. And we all think that's what leaders do. And so the kids would come to my ship when this is what their idea was. And we'd have to sort of blow that up. And it's, I don't know a movie <laughs> that captures kind of the way it was on the submarine. So Stephen Covey, he, I'll give you a little snippet though. Stephen Covey came uh, because we started doing really well and I was using some of his stuff. He heard about it and he came you know, he kind of watched, and all day long, basically, I, I sort, I stood there, but but guys would come up to me with, "I intend to do this, I intend to do that," and these decisions were kind of being made all over the ship. So, if you think about a movie, you need the camera to go someplace and have there be a focus of attention. But my submarine wasn't like there was no sort of focus of attention. Stuff was happening everywhere. Everyone was making decisions, and it would. He turned to me and said, "At one point, you know, if I didn't know you were the captain because of the little symbols on your collar." It would be hard for me to actually figure out who the captain here is. That was Stephen Covey who said that? Yeah, yeah. It's funny because so coming from the wrong person, that would sound like a put down. But obviously from him, it was a very high compliment. It was the highest compliment he could give. And he said, he said, this is amazing. It's the most empowered 
workforce, not military place, but workforce I had ever seen. And this was in 19, uh, 2000. Uh, and, uh, and actually Stephen Covey was the guy. He's, then he turns to me and he says, I figured out what's going on here. Now, for me, uh, like in the book, right, that I wrote, there's a sort of this, even though I try to avoid it, there's sort of this sense of preordained success, right? We know it's going to be successful. Otherwise, <laughs> it would be a book. Uh, but at the time, we had no, it was like chaos. We had no idea. And Covey says, I figured it out. I was like, well, it's good, Dr. Covey. Please tell me. And he said, look, uh, and, he, and, he, and we stitched together what we call the ladder of leadership. And he said, um, so at the bottom, there's tell me what to do. Guys, guys come up with, quote, either tell me what to do or some camouflaged uh, format of tell me what to do. Like, hey, boss, we got a problem with the main lube oil pump, and they don't give you a solution. That, that's a can't tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. So you just go, you just try and move someone from tell me what to do to I think. And then I think to I recommend. I recommend to re- request permission to request permission to. I intend to. I intend to do that I've done. I just did it. And, and by attaching words to these different levels of empowerment, we sort of we put together this, this ladder. And I said, yeah, that's it. That's very helpful. It's the, it was the best leadership hack I ever saw. Hmm. Um, now, just to finish the story on the submarine, so we have this quick conversation. We get six levels really quick. And uh, he puts his head down. <laughs> he's kind of rubbing his forehead. He's, we've been underway for about eight hours, and I think he's getting seasick or something. <laughs> and like uh, I said, oh, Dr. Covey, are you okay? Do I need to get you know, the corpsman? He says, no, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine. He's rubbing his head. He says, fine, it's just I need seven. I'm a seven guy. <laughs> so so we, we brainstormed for a minute, and we came up with number seven. But I used that ever since, and it was so useful because I could, I could just hear – when people would talk to me, I could just hear, "Oh, you're here mm-hmm. on this. You're here on the ladder, and I want you to be here." And I, and I would just say, "You know what? Try saying this. Say these words." And you know, I never used the word empower. In fact, I hated the word empowerment. I never used that darn word, and I hated the word engaged. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we want to engage. You know, I said I don't even know what that means. Just, but I want people to say this. Right. So just to kind of break this down to a practicality, um, yeah. so, so this, this language of leaders, if we as a leader are hearing people say things like, tell me what to do, or they bring us a problem without a recommendation, which is the same thing. We got this problem, tell me what to do. Right. How do you uh, get them, what would you say in response to get them to the next higher level? Yeah. So the first thing you do, first of all, you have to recognize that they're trying, they're trying to trick you into telling them what to do. And an interesting exercise is to look at your email, mm-hmm. outgoing, your sent emails, and see how many times did you tell people what to do in your outgoing, you know, that, which is a terrible one. But anyway, so a guy comes to you and says, a uh, person on your team says, hey, you know, what, what do you think I should do here? You mean, don't tell them. What, don't tell them. Say, what do you think we should do? Now, a lot of times that's going to be scary, especially if they haven't been accustomed to it. So there's, I have three little strategies to getting from uh, tell me what to do to I think. Strategy number one, make it small. Just break it up into a little piece. Like don't say, should we submerge the ship or not? Just say, well, you know, tell me about um, what we're trying to achieve here as a submarine. You know, so it's one little piece of it. Number two, change perspective where you say, well, what if you were – you know, what if you were our client? What if you were me? What if you were the CEO? What if you were the board of direct? What if, you know, what if you, you know, just sort of get them out of their own head and let them talk about it 
from different perspectives. I really like actually saying, actually putting them in your chair, like physically sit in my chair and then asking them. And then the third thing I call fast forward, which I, we, we would have a calendar that was always six months ahead of time. And we'd, we'd point to the date and we'd say, imagine it's that day, you know, imagine it's July 20th. What do you think we wish we had done thinking back to today? And because human beings are short-term animals, we need help thinking long-term. So this is, this is just a little, you know, aid to, to help you think long-term. But those three things, make it small, uh, change perspective, and fast forward are three tools that you can use to break someone who seems reluctant to move from, you know, hey, you're the boss. You, you know, you, you, you got to make the decisions here to, to here's, well, here's what I think. Mm-hmm. But once you start doing that, man, you're off to the races. So at the at the bottom level, they're saying things like "tell me what to do" or "what should we do." That they get yeah. to level two, which is they'll instead of coming to you with that, that you start hearing things like well, "I think we should blah blah blah," and then when they have more authority, they'd be saying things like "I recommend we should." And uh, but eventually, you want to get them to saying things like well, "I intend to do this," and then eventually getting to where they're reporting on what they've done. I just did such and such, and even better would be, I've been doing such and such. Exactly. Yeah, tell me what to do. Then it's, I think, you know, I recommend, I request permission to, I intend to, and and then I've done. I really loved I intend to because what happens is you want the communication. So when I say to you, hey, you're, you're the software designer. You can now make a decision on what features to include in the software. Next update. Normally that was coming to me. What normally happens is you know, I read about it in the newspaper, right? The software gets released, and I read, read, like, I read about it in the newspaper what features we had. I, I don't want to read about it in the newspaper, so I still need you to talk to me. <laughs> Right, because because most organizations have have this dysfunctional habit of associating communication with authority. Hmm. The only reason people talk to each other is because I'm getting I'm providing information to my boss, or my boss is giving me permission to do something. And we really want to break that. We want to sort of break that mental linkage. Information can go anywhere, and so I love I intend to because it keeps the information going. And oh, by the way, asterisk. If I really don't like what you're going to do, I still have one last chance to say, yeah, no, we're not going to submerge. <laughs> <laughs> but mainly it's just to keep that, just to remind us to keep the communication open. So so we have, one of the habits we have is we have a daily intention email. We have a daily intention meeting when, when we're together. But for me, because I travel so much, it's mostly an email. My team sends an email to everybody else on the team. This is what I intend to do. So I'll get an email from our our marketing person. And she says, I intend to run a Twitter ad for five days, marketing the workbook that's about to come out. I intend to spend $50 a day. Now, if I want to react to that, I can. But if I'm busy or tired, I don't check my email. It's The whole organization doesn't grind to a halt. She's mm-hmm. going to do it. Mm-hmm. She's going to do it. And so that, she's really owning. She's, she owns it. Now, for some reason, I say, you know, no, I only want you to spend 25 or hey, your budget set. Well, whatever it is, I I can interact. But in general, you know, your people are gonna do it, and that's what you want because you want a bias toward activity, not a bias toward waiting to be told. You know, get permission. Permission or orders, right? 
Correct. That's a great leadership hack there. I, just to share a, a couple tools that people might, uh, similar tools that people might find helpful. On our team at Aspendale, we use a, a project management system called Basecamp. And it has a view where we can see what everybody's working on and what they've done. And it just, there's a, a view that where you can, I can just skim all those. And uh, anytime I see something where I might want to have some input or provide some additional information or inject myself to change a decision, I can. But in general, people are just running and rocking and rolling. Yeah, yeah. I love, I, I know Jason Fried and I love Basecamp. So that's, you know, great that you're using that. Oh, good. That's, a, that's cool that you know him. Uh, a second tool is called idonethis.com, and we use it for uh, certain types of work that we do where we're just reporting on things that we've done and uh, lets the rest of the team provide feedback or comments. Uh, and, and you might say I'm sometimes it's I, I'm researching uh, this with the intent to do X. I think I'm going to contact so-and-so and offer uh, or invite this person to be an, uh, a guest on our show. And for example, and then it gives the rest of us a chance to say, oh, that's a boring topic. Forget that. But generally speaking, they've done this and uh, it's moving forward unless somebody raises a, a red flag. I love it. I'm going to check it out. So Basecamp.com and uh, IDoneThis.com are a couple of things that people might want to check out. So the book, again, is Turn the Ship Around, Turning Followers into Leaders. Now, David, besides writing this book, what kind of work are you doing now? Who are you working with and how are you helping them? So I'm doing uh, keynotes and workshop sessions and some coaching with either trade groups that are having their annual leadership meetings or individual companies who are trying to build environments where people are engaged and take initiative, feel valued, as opposed to needing to be told what to do. And it's, it's been a lot of fun. Some of the more interesting and fun things that we've done are we had, uh, I mean, we got sort of the normal, we got, we got a bunch of manufacturing companies, software companies, but we had a couple sports teams that have had some unbelievable success. Hmm. Uh, a college baseball team, which was last in batting, became first in batting because the batting coach stopped telling the kids what to do. And so when the kids went go on, on deck, they would say the last thing they would say to the coach was, "I intend to." I, I don't think they used they used a different word like "I plan to." I think was the words they used. But you know, for this pitcher, I plan to, and then they had to tell the coach what their plan was. And then the next year, they were the highest in the league in batting. And then the batting coach then got actually got hired to be the head coach at another college. So it was a success story all the way around. Um, a, a secondary school football team in Canada had similar success where the coach, you know, got the kids thinking rather than just following the playbook, got the kids engaged in thinking. Uh, we've had a couple nonprofits, a school. One of our more interesting things has been an autistic school in Long Island where by giving the teachers more authority, we're seeing more engagement with the kids. And it's been real interesting because the school kind of is in this environment where you know, if you call the school and ask about your kid, you're going to talk to a senior, you know, one of the vice principals about your kid. And they don't let, they have what they call these paras, which are the people who pair up with the child and stay with the child all day long. But these paras are generally sort of at the low end of the pay scale. And they've never really been entrusted to talk directly with the parents, even though they're the ones who have the most intimate knowledge of the kid. 
So what they're doing is they're just letting these parents, taking the risk, let these parents talk directly with the parents. And yeah, every once in a while they kind of say things that are semi-embarrassing to the school, but because it's so fresh and honest and they have such an intimate relationship with the child, it's, it's much better. So we've had some fun with those kind of things. And then um, we, we recently started doing a little bit of work with a couple healthcare organizations where they're trying to do this in the healthcare sphere. So folks can get a hold of your book on Amazon, on your website, davidmarquet.com. That's M-A-R-Q-U-E-T. In addition, you just came out with a new workbook called Turn Your Ship Around. What's, what's, what do they find there? Well, the idea is I was doing all these activities because people were like, oh, that's great, but I don't need another lecture. I, what I need to know is how to do it and uh, how to get my team going. Like, so what are the activities that you do when you're doing your workshop? So we kind of, you know, what are the questions to think about in the activities? And we just wrote all those up and that's the workbook. So the workbook's designed for the guy or gal who wants to take their team forward, doesn't either need me or want me or, you know, whatever, doesn't need a lot of help, just says, I got it. I understand the theory. What are the activities? You know, what can I have people do? And so it's just, it's just full of these activities. I love it. I definitely found where I've read a book by somebody and then went and used the workbook and got a lot of value out of that. But when you when you really dig into some of those and find that they've got a lot of great stuff to share, and that's where you really learn to trust them and decide, I think I could even use their help to implement this. And that's when I've finally reached out to hire that consultant or that coach. So a lot of opportunities for people to get to know you and work with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not a hiring ploy. It's, <laughs> it's just, I'm just trying to figure out how to be as helpful as possible. David Marquet, thanks so much for joining us on Engaging Leader. Thanks for being on your show, Jesse. And best of luck to your listeners as they create better environments for the people they work with. All right, Engagers, that wraps up this episode. We'll put a link in our show notes to David's book, Turn the Ship Around, A True Story of Turning Followers into Leaders. Encourage you to check that out. Also, we'll put a link to his website, davidmarquet.com, where you can see a video sketch of the book. Um, You can also sign up for leadership nudges that David provides by email. And you can also put a link to his profile on Twitter, which is at LDavidMarquet. You can find the show notes at engagingleader.com forward slash 110 as in episode 110. And while you're on the show notes page, I encourage you to provide your thoughts or questions in the comments section. This is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm where my colleagues and I partner with mid-size and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Dustin Hartzler, our website engineer, J.J. Leahy, our video and web intern, Rick Terrence, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, you are always communicating and leading. Let's make the most of each opportunity to engage the people we care about. 